Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andy. Thank you to our musicians as well who are so faithful each week to provide music for us. And what a great job they do. If you would turn with us today to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. We're going through the book of Proverbs on Sunday nights. And I've got to I've got to find my eyes quickly. There they are. Okay. Proverbs chapter three and starting in verse twenty seven. Proverbs chapter three, starting in verse twenty seven. The Bible says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go, and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how practical your word is to us, how it gives us daily instruction for life. Lord, especially in this book of Proverbs. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this evening, help help us to put these principles into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight I want to talk about the call to righteous living. We know that we are only righteous in Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ that matters. It is His righteousness that is full and complete. But those of us who have been saved by the grace of God need to walk in a righteous way. We need to walk in an upright manner as we are taught by Christ each day. And this is really what the book of Proverbs helps us to do. It helps us to live in such a way that we show forth the wisdom of God. This is how we live well. This is how we live wisely as God's people. And so we're going to talk about how we treat those around us. And this really goes well with our Sunday school lessons that we've been studying. But I've uh, divided the final part of this chapter into two sections. The first section, verses 27 through 31, is a series of commands relating to our treatment of other people. Those who are near, but in the end, of course, Jesus said everyone is our neighbor. But then verses 32 through 35 give reasons why our treatment of others is so important. 
especially from God's perspective. In August of 2022, there was a Minnesota farmer named Scott Legreed. He suffered severe injuries in a car accident. He had gone off the road and he ended up breaking his collarbone, a shoulder blade, and seven ribs. He also damaged his back and sustained a collapsed lung and concussion. Doctors said he would not be able to get on a tractor for several months. Now that was a problem because Scott runs his farm in the town of Frost, Minnesota, almost entirely on his own. And so the harvest from his 600 acres of corn and soybeans is his lone source of income. But then something happened, and that is word spread in the town of Frost. Population 198. And isn't that how it is in small towns? They're much like a family. But they found out what happened, and one neighbor was able to recruit 18 farmers to help Scott. And so they arrived at Scott's farm with their equipment, and in no time they had the soybeans harvested. They'll come back again for the corn. Now that is a lesson for us as Christians. It's a lesson for us as the family of God that we should be willing to help others around us. And of course, we look after our own family, our own blood relatives. We look after our church family. We look after our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever they have a need, we should be right there to step in to help. That's one thing that I've appreciated about this church. People are very quick to help. And that's how we should be as God's people. But then how about our next door neighbors? Do we help them as well? How about other people in general? Are we willing to help them? This is what we mean when we say God calls us to live righteously. So I want you to notice number one, the command in verses 27 through 31. And first of all, letter A, do not refuse help when you are able to provide it. That's verse 27. Now, there are two applications of this verse. Number one, do not withhold that which you owe to someone else. Now, this would be addressed to an employer. If you have a laborer, you need to pay that laborer on time. In fact, I believe you need to be able to help that person out. If that person is trustworthy, then you need to be willing to help them out when they need it and be flexible with them. But turn to this verse, Leviticus 19 and verse 13, and you'll see that God has always been interested in these things. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13. And by the way, Leviticus 19 is a very rich chapter. I know that the rest of Leviticus can be very difficult to get through because we don't go through the practices of the Old Covenant anymore. Those were fulfilled uh, with Christ and, uh, the new co- in the New Covenant. But the rest of chapter 19 is so, so practical. And here is one of those examples, verse 13 
Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. And the second statement explains the first, that to defraud someone means to keep back something that is owed to them. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. That is the idea of the verse. Back in those days when you earned a day's wage for a day's living, it was very important that you received your salary on time. Their economic system worked a little bit differently than, than ours does, and frankly, I like ours better. But back then, it was uh, primitive in, in comparison, and so you were paid for that day, and that's what you bought uh, the, uh, the family fair with, uh, what your family would need. So it was important that you received that on time and that you gave it to others. So here's the lesson. Pay what you owe and do it on time. If you enter into a contract with someone, into a debt, then you need to pay that debt. That is the right thing to do. And as much as you can, you need to pay it on time. Now we realize that things happen. We know that that's not always possible. Some people can run into uh, all kinds of financial hardships, sickness, the loss of a job. But still, the right thing to do would be to go to that creditor and say, let me work out something with you. You need to take that step of goodwill and say, I owe you this money. And I think this is important in our society, especially when we feel so entitled today to everything. And our young people need to understand this that if they sign a contract to pay something, they need to pay it. Now, if you don't want the services or you don't want the goods, then what? Don't sign the contract. Now, I know that, that oftentimes we get ourselves into a situation where we act rashly. And so we know that you know, sometimes we need to bear with the young. And because we were in that situation at one time, we've made rash decisions. But what's unfortunate is when this becomes a pattern of life. When over and over again, you feel that you should not have to pay back what you contracted for. And that's wrong. It's wrong in the eyes of God. And... We need to trust God and uh, pray that He would help us to meet our obligations. Because again, we, all of us understand. We know that things happen in life. And it can be very, very hard to, uh, to pay off that debt sometimes when something unforeseen happens. And, you know, the verse does say, when it's in thy power, when the power is in thy hand to do it. And sometimes... For all that you can do, you can't do it. But you still need to make that step of goodwill and you need to do it in integrity 
And you need to say, look, is there any way that we could set up a payment plan to where I could pay it back maybe another way? And you'll be surprised how many people would jump at the chance because they're not used to that. But we as God's people need to be people of integrity and we need to train our children to do this as well and not to just expect this. There's a second application though here. And that is number two, do not delay to help someone when it's in your power to do so. If someone calls upon you for assistance and you have the power to help that individual and it's a situation where you know this is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to help this person. Don't be like the priest or the Levite. Don't just walk by on the other side and ignore that individual. Help is more than just monetary, by the way. It's more than just material aid. It's spiritual aid. It's coming alongside that person and helping them spiritually. But Ray Ortland says this, and I, this is a really good statement. He said, we sin against each other, not only by the bad things we do, but also by the beautiful things we withhold. Withheld love is a life-depleting sin. Oftentimes, the only thing we think about is, well, what have I done wrong? When sometimes what we really ought to be asking is, what have I done right? How have I helped other individuals? There's much more to holiness than avoiding that which is wrong. That is true and that is vitally important. You can't have holiness without it. There's some things you've got to avoid. But holiness is more than that. It's also doing those things that you know you should. How have I helped other people? It's not good for Christians to cloister themselves off and to get this mentality that we've got to build walls and we can't have any contact with people. And as long as we're not doing anything egregiously wrong, as long as we're fine on the externals, we're okay. And this is where spiritual deterioration starts to set in. This almost monastic, ascetic type attitude where we are not actively reaching out to others, to the lost who need our help. Ortland goes on to say, it's a sin to tell ourselves, I'm not doing anybody any harm. But then the question is, what good are you withholding? Jesus withheld no good thing from you. And we should not withhold it from others. Notice letter B. Do not take advantage of others. Verses 29 through 31. Verse 29. What does this mean? It's fairly obvious, but it means don't figure out ways of taking advantage of your neighbor. The person who lives next to you trusts you, but this could be anybody in your life. People should know that their secret is safe with you. You're not going to stab them in the back. 
You're not going to be plotting or scheming behind their back. You're not going to take their personal information, private confidential information, and share it with other people. They know that they can be safe around you. They dwell with you trustingly, and you need to reciprocate. This is one of the reasons many times why a marriage is unsuccessful, because at some point this trust is broken. And the safest place on earth should be the home, right? Where you can come and you can find comfort and restoration, where you can know that you're going to have someone to defend you, someone who's not going behind your back and breaking faith with you or breaking your trust in the worst way. And this is a good lesson for us as couples. Men... When you look at pornography on the internet, you are breaking trust with your wife. That's how she sees it. And by the way, that's how God sees it too. Because Jesus says if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. You have broken that trust. And she is the one who dwells with you trustingly. Wives, it's the same way. You can do the same to your husband. Do you badmouth your husband to your friends? Do you talk down about him when you're supposed to be supporting him? Men, you ought to be faithful to your wives. She ought to be number one in your life. She ought to know that you would never lay a hand on her physically, that you're not going to abuse her with words because, by the way, there's more than one way to abuse someone. It is not just with a fist, but it's also with words. This is what we need to have strong families, strong couples. We need to be able to have that trust in one another, that there is safety. We need to do everything we can to make sure that that's the case. Look at verse 30. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. The idea here is that you don't walk around with a chip on your shoulder, always spoiling for a fight, always looking. You know, it's sort of like you know, when we were in school, there was always a kid at the back of the classroom. He would always listen carefully for the teacher to trip up. And that was his main goal in life. I'm going to find where the teacher trips up. Or you could say this is like uh, the neighborhood bully. You don't have to do anything. But he's going to find a way to get in a fight with you. He is a contentious, wrathful person. And by the way, he doesn't even have to be a bully, really. Maybe it's just his personality, but the Bible says don't be that way. Ask God to take that away from you, that contentious spirit, because God won't be able to use you otherwise. If you're not a person of peace, don't go around always spoiling for a fight. By the way, eventually you'll get it. You know, when I was a kid, we always knew that guy who would walk around, a windbag, always talking about how uh, big and bad he was. Uh, there was one 
guy in particular that I knew. Yeah, he was a mountain of a man, even when he was a kid. And uh, one day he got in a fight. And by the way, I just heard about this secondhand. I didn't witness it. But he picked on a fight with some, he picked a fight with someone who was smaller than he was. But it just so happened the guy had multiple belts in Taekwondo. It didn't end well for the big guy at all. And you know, that's what happens. It really does. Eventually, you're going to get what's coming to you. You're going to meet your match. Don't be that person who goes around spoiling for a fight. God, if you're his child, God will put you in your place if no one else does. But this is what this verse is talking about. You know, this is for our good as much as anyone else's. This is how we stay out of trouble. Look at verse 31. Envy not thou the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Now this is a lot like the bully in this verse. Don't be the person who goes around pushing others around because he knows he can do it. And he does it to get ahead in life. We see people like this in our world all the time. Sometimes a leader of nations can be like this. We see that in this world today. Terrorist organizations. We see this today. And we also see it in our lives on the personal level. We, we should not be like this as one of God's children. God will put us in our place. Derek Kidner says this, The neighborly qualities which Proverbs urges on the reader add up to nothing less than love. This is how we love other people. This is how neighborly love is demonstrated. And this is where many of our Sunday school lessons coincide with this chapter. First of all, we seek peace, if at all possible. You can find this throughout the book of Proverbs. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 29, where it says, Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Seek peace, if at all possible. Be very reluctant to have to start any kind or to participate in any kind of contention or to spread it. And you know, there, there are some times when you have to get involved in a difficult situation, but be reluctant to do so. Make sure that you're not the kind of person who enjoys it. Be disarmingly kind and generous in your judgments. Silence is often wiser than criticism. If you'll go to a Proverbs 11 and verse 12, here's a great principle. Proverbs 11 and verse 12. You know, there's something within us we just have to have the last word or the first word or the middle word. But you know, sometimes the best course of action is just to be silent. It's one of the hardest things that we men have to do. It really is. But, oh, well, men and women, okay? It's really, it's, it's a human thing. But in, in 11, 12, he that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. Sometimes the better part of valor is just to say nothing at all. We see this with social media where 
things would be so much better if most of it, you know, and some of it's good, but if a lot of it would just go away, a lot of it is just unnecessary, many of the things that are said. Here's another point that Kidner makes. A person who has failed should evoke help rather than contempt. This is really convicting to me. You know, when a person fails, when they fall, a Christian brother or sister, if we're not careful, one of the first things that we're apt to do is to jump on them. In fact, it can become sort of a pack mentality where we collectively jump on that person and we shun them and we avoid them rather than reaching out to help them. So in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 21, we see, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Here's another principle in Proverbs 21 and verse 10. The distaste with which one views another man may owe more to one's evil heart than to his. In other words, maybe the reason why I have something against him is really just a reflection of my own heart. C.S. Lewis said this about pride in mere Christianity. He says one of the reasons why we despise pride in others is because it's really something that we see in ourselves. And that is true in, in many cases. And so in Proverbs 21, if you'll turn there with me, please, Proverbs 21 and verse 10. The soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. He's always twisting things. And we heard about this in the Sunday school today. In the least charitable way, we're always looking for the bad. Someone does something and we interpret it in the worst possible way. Sometimes that's a reflection of our own evil heart and what's there, rather than the fault of the other person. Now, Kidner does say this. He says, yet for all this, our kindness must not devolve into sentimentality. For instance, there are some people that we need to keep our distance from. And that's in Proverbs as well. Proverbs 2, or uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 22. One more passage that I want you to turn to. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 24. The Bible says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. In other words, don't be company to a man who cannot control his temper or his spirit. What's going to happen is he's going to get you into a lot of trouble. Now, I know that there are times when a lot, you know, this is a human failing. We have problems with our temper. But here we're talking about a person where this is a way of life. They're always flying off the handle at people. That's sort of how they approach problems. They're constantly letting off steam and anger, giving vent to their anger. 
And I don't know, maybe they think that this is the way that they're going to get things done in life. You know, maybe it's because it's intimidating or whatever. But in the end, it's just sinful. And so the Bible says you avoid that type of person. Here's another instance. Proverbs 22 and verse 26. We go just a few verses ahead. The next verse. Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. What it means when it says to strike hands is to be a surety for another, to underwrite their debt, or to sign for them. The Bible says be very, very careful about that. And it goes on in verse 27, If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? You know, we, we say it a little differently in English. You'll lose your shirt. And so uh, you, you have to be very, very careful if, if you underwrite someone's debt and then it comes back to you and you're responsible to pay it and you lose everything. So there are certain things that we avoid. And that has to be pointed out as well. But the command is to live righteously with our neighbor, to show them love and to show them help wherever we can. Look at number two, the reasons to live righteously. The reasons to live righteously. First of all, God's companionship, going back to chapter 3. God's companionship in verse 32. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The word froward means perverse or crooked. It speaks of a devious person who is always seeking an advantage over others. You know, we would call this person a tactician, not in a good sense. But he's always looking for an angle. How can I turn this situation to my advantage, even if I have to step on other people to do it? That is the type of person that is an abomination to the Lord. But the Bible says, on the other hand, the contrast is his secret is with those who act in a righteous way, those who act in an upright way with others. And the word secret here means things shared in confidence. In other words, this is who the Lord takes into his friendship. This is who the Lord takes into his fellowship and companionship, the person who acts uprightly. In John 15 and verse 15, the Bible says, Jesus talking to his disciples, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. What would you rather be? Would you rather be one whom God opposes? Or do you want to be the friend of God, someone who is on intimate terms with God? You see, when you go through this life and you mistreat other people and you take advantage of them, you're not going to be right with God. The Bible says, husbands, if you're not right with your wives, if you don't dwell with them according to knowledge, God is not going to hear your prayers until you're right with them. That's how seriously God takes this. Look at letter B, God's blessing, verse 33. The curse of the Lord 
is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the home of those who are upright, the habitation of the just, of those who are righteous. God blesses the habitation of the just. Do you want God's cursing or do you want His blessing? Letter C, God's grace, verse 34, Surely He scorneth the scorners, but He giveth grace unto the lowly. In other words, God treats the arrogant as they treat others. He mocks the mockers. He scorns the scornful. But He pours out His grace upon the humble. There's some people who go through life cynical, scornful, skeptical. God turns His back on such things. But He pours out His grace on that person with humility. And then finally, letter D, God's commendation, verse 35. The wise shall inherit glory. The sense here is honor. And many times this doesn't happen in this life, but it happens in eternity. On the other hand, shame will be the promotion of fools. The fool here is the rabble against God, the one who turns against his commands. And in the context that we've been talking about, the one who does not live uprightly with others, the one who lives for his own advantage, who constantly thinks of himself. We need to be a good neighbor as God's people. There's, it was a book called The Zookeeper's Wife. It was by an author named Diane Ackerman, and she described the, the brutal occupation of Warsaw, Poland by the Nazis. And the Warsaw Zoo became a hiding place for members of the resistance and Jewish refugees. It's just a very, very desperate situation. And she wrote this. She said, keeping one person alive often required putting a great many in jeopardy. It tested them nonstop as they resisted both propaganda and death threats. Yet, 70 to 90,000 people, 90,000 people in Warsaw, about one-twelfth of the city's population, risk their lives to help their neighbors escape. Now, friends, that's giving all. For your neighbor. Besides the rescuers and underground helpers, there were maids, there were postmen, there were milkmen, and many others who didn't inquire about extra faces or extra mouths to feed. They came together doing what little they could to save the lives of many. Isn't that what our Lord did? Is our example. In Matthew 20, 28, the Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, not to be served, waited on hand and foot, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. John 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that you are my followers, if ye have love one to another. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted 
from the world. May God help us to live in a righteous manner for His glory and for the sake of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the wisdom and guidance that it gives us on a very practical, everyday level. Lord, how far short we fall of these things. We need Your grace. So we pray that You would help us this week to find opportunities to serve You, to be a help to others. And we know that the greatest help of all is to minister to a person who is lost, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to see that person come to you. Give us those opportunities this week. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and in doing so, demonstrate that we love you supremely. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.